The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see your smiling faces today. How are you all? Good morning, Scott. Morning, Jay. Morning. So in the last uh, few days, we've been hearing about the inflation rate. Of course, uh, obviously, we've seen interest rates going up to try to curb inflation and bring that back down. Uh, Inflation up around 7%, 8% at one point. Now it's dipped ever so slightly. How big an indicator is this? Is this a big deal that we're seeing inflation slowly start to, to drop a bit? Yeah, I'd actually say it's more than slowly, Scott. It's it's come down a fair bit. You know, you know what? Last this week is the first time it's been under six percent since February of last year, a full twelve months ago. So the impact of these interest rate rises has had its effect. It does take eight months, generally, or longer, uh, to have an effect on the inflation rate. In fact, the inflation is now pegged at five point nine percent, and economists expected about six point two. So you think, okay, that's great news, and it was. Last year, in February, it was 5.7%. So we've come full circle. And, you know, you kind of go through it, and it, it went from 5.7 in February last year, and then up to 6, and 7.7 in May. 8.1 was the peak in June. And then it's worth trickling itself down um, in the 7s and the 6s, and finally 5.9%. Great news. But again, it's all relative. Um, you know, 2019, it was 1.9%. And 20, with the pandemic, was 0.7%. In fact, there's two months where it's deflation because the economy was contracting. Not, nobody was able to do anything. And then 21, it went up to 3.4. But that doesn't tell the whole story. Late 21, it was actually at 4.8. It was really starting to rise. And that's when the, the alarm ball should have gone up that, hey, we're going to have some inflation here. we got to raise the interest rate. It took a while for the government to do something about that. And then when they did, they did it in, uh, in droves. And we've had lots of interest rates hikes, as we all know. But with this good news, you think, hey, um, stock markets uh, should really rally because, you know, way better than expected. And obviously, the inflation is kind of getting under control. Well, Canada is only represents two to three percent of the world's stock markets. And really, the, 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 the tail doesn't wag the dog. OK, what I mean by that is that the U.S. stock market had a very big day or down day this week, even though Canadian inflation rates were quite good. And the reason is, is a whole lot of data the U.S. had. And so what the U.S. does, we kind of follow. And the dog wags the tail. And they had a bad a bad couple of days in the stock market. And of course, even in spite of this great news, we had a couple of bad days. But it's relative. They talk about how many points down the market went down. It went down to around 700 points. Sounds terrible. That's about 2%. In fact, you think, oh, well, with that much down, it must be off by the year. Well, actually, the stock markets are still up somewhere between 4 and 11%, depending on the stock market you're following throughout the world. So the markets are actually doing quite well. But again, you know, you look at things, uh, generally speaking, the media will pull out the negative news, make it sound, sensationalize it by saying 700 points down. They won't talk about the 2%. And Yeah, that's that, that's a good point on the, the- 
it's kind of like a myth of what goes on in the stock market and how how the stock market works. So they don't report that percentage necessarily. They report the big number of 700 points and it, it sells a lot of papers and gets people interested and it gets people to tune into TV, but it doesn't necessarily reflect what's actually going on. If someone just said it was 2% or 1%, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Um, so they they definitely package it into a into a nice little... Uh, marketing marketing package to make people watch and, and buy papers. That's for yeah, sure. We're saying so, yeah, there's months. lots of <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, we see that all the time. So yeah, we, and you know, as advisors, we don't knee jerk to those types of things, and we we put put our our um, our thinking caps on during this time, and we we definitely talk to. There's lots of clients that call and have worries, and we and we walk them through it. But it's it's no different than any other time. If the market's down one or two percent, it seems that's the norm often. You know. Uh, week to week basis. Um, so yeah, so lots of myths that go on in, in the market and lots of myths that go on with money. One of the things everyone's talking about right now is, you know, inflation's down, but um, the cost of food's still going up. The cost of borrowing is still up. They haven't reduced interest rates on on how much it costs to borrow in a, in a mortgage. So, you know, one of the things that a myth out there is buying a home is better than renting. And that used to be the, the age old way of thinking. But if I, I look back, you know, if I bought a house a year ago, Go and I paid a million dollars for that house. Today it's worth possibly eight hundred thousand if you look at what's gone on in real estate. So we've had a twenty percent drop in in real estate approximately in the last little while. So buying that house cost you two hundred thousand dollars in the last year. So okay, the, yeah, that's a lot of rent, right? If you're renting something for twenty five hundred dollars a month, thirty thousand dollars a year. Um, it take you a long time to catch up that two hundred thousand. So it's not always you know buying a house. People say, well, you can't lose in real estate. Well, if you bought a house last year, you would have. Um, so you've got to hold on to that house for, I don't know how long. We, we can't speculate on this show about how long it's going to take. But um, buying a house isn't always the best option. Also, buying a house, maybe you can't afford it. Maybe you've maybe you've strapped yourself and got yourself in a position where, you know, you bought a house a year ago when interest rates were low, and now you're in a position where interest rates are higher, and now you're sitting with a big mortgage payment. It's increased by a thousand or two thousand dollars a month, and now now buying is a really bad idea. So definitely look look at what makes sense for you. Everyone's finances are different, but you definitely not always buying a house makes sense. Um, another thing that we look at. And that we, Don and I talk about all the time is you have to be rich to invest. A lot of clients come to us and say, oh, we don't have enough money to invest. I'm not even going to bother start investing. Well, that's not true. Um, some of our wealthiest clients, uh, you know, coming from Hamilton, hardworking blue collar employees um, that started really early. And it's it's not about uh, you, you have to get rich to, to start investing, you get rich from investing. So those people that start out really early start when you're 18 or when you get your first job. And, and meet with someone and make sure that you get a plan in place. And the earlier you start, the better. It's not about being rich. It's how you get rich by starting early. So a lot of people, that's that's a myth that you have to be rich to invest. We've got lots of clients that start out with start out with next to nothing. And, and they're some of our wealthiest clients. Yeah, and um, I would suggest we've grown a lot, of, a lot of millionaires over the, over the years, Jay. You know, like just as you mentioned, you know, we started also when we were in our early 20s. And uh, had, you know, our friends and clients were also quite young at the time and, and they kind of grew with us and, you know, some in spite of themselves, here we are and they, they you know, they're financially independent, you know, to this day. Yeah. 
no, for sure. Yeah, it's amazing how many how many millionaires we have now as clients that started out with nothing. And it, it feels so good to go see those clients. And there's like it's almost like a celebration, right? It's like paying off your mortgage. And then the next one is, oh, now I've got a million bucks. And having a million bucks today is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. But there's a lot of millionaires out there now with 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 the sale of real estate that's recently happened. And and, and people just save. Um, yeah. It's it, it's it's just the facts. If you start early and you st- if you save, uh, you're going to have a lot of money at the end of the end of the day. Um, one thing um, I, I, that comes up often is I want to increase my credit score. I want to make my credit score. And we've done a show on the credit scores before, but um, people say, well, I got to keep a balance on my credit card to improve my credit score. Absolutely not. You don't want to keep a balance on your credit card, pay it off every month. You can put stuff on your credit card, but don't keep a balance. It doesn't, it doesn't improve your credit score. That's a, that's a myth. Uh, Things that'll improve your credit score, paying your utility bills, um, having bank account balances, like having a a nice balance in your bank account, not going into overdraft, uh, paying down debt. So paying, Paying down uh, car loans, uh, student loans, mortgages on time. Those are the things that increase your credit score, not keeping a balance on a credit card. Um, kind of part and parcel to the last point I mentioned, I don't earn enough to save. And this could be true, uh, especially with inflation the way it is. Maybe you don't have enough money and, and mortgage rates have gone up and your, your costs have gone up on a monthly basis. And I get that. But we have a lot of people that come to us that have make six figures and don't save. And they've got accustomed to their lifestyle um every time they get a raise they just bump up their lifestyle spend more money go on better vacations go to restaurants and they don't save so you really have to instill those values when you're young or when you're starting out working is start saving early um just because you think you don't earn enough uh doesn't mean you can't save and start small start as start with whatever you can we always say pay yourself first set aside something that makes makes you feel a little uncomfortable um if it doesn't make make you feel uncomfortable you're probably not doing enough um and don't don't strap yourself by any means but and if if you don't feel uncomfortable start increasing the amount um, that's just, <laughs> right that's that's how, that's how that, no if it's easy it means you're probably leaving you know you're increasing your lifestyle because it's not really any pain to this it's you're saving it just happens oh no problem i can do this that yeah, applies no, to that applies to so many things in life doesn't it yeah <laughs> uh, no pain no gain that's it that's it um uh, one of the big ones is my partner manages the money so i don't need to worry about it um, this is a thorn in our side. Don and I, when we sit down with clients, we, we sit down with both people. We recommend that both parties are, are present, even if one person doesn't have any interest in, in finances, doesn't have any education in terms of finances, and doesn't really have any interest at all. It's better for them to be at the table. Um, they, they may have an opinion about something like a lot of people in a relationship. Some people have different views on risk hall. And what what's risky and what's not risky. Um, we have spenders and we have savers. So it's always good to have both people at the table. The other reason is, you know, the, the reality is that you know, fifty percent of all marriages end in divorce. So if you've got one person that's managing all the money and then there's a divorce, what happens to the other person that has no clue what's going on? So be prepared. Sit down with a, your financial advisor, um, with your spouse, and make sure you're going through all your finances together. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a break here. We're coming right back. 
You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. RSPs. Man, I hear a lot about that lately. Yeah, we're down to the last few days here. Um, March 1st, which is this Wednesday coming up, is the deadline. Now, of course, it's midnight of that day officially. I'm not sure who's going to take your money at midnight, but anyway. Um, and, I, and I suppose if it was got a Thursday morning and predated to Wednesday, uh, they may accept that also. But end of the day, you know, it's always funny. The last 10 years or so, I always hear this radio report. You know, it's just not that busy. Um, RSP contributions are down. And I think, talk about myths, you know, following up on what Jay was talking about. I think that is a absolute myth. There's just different ways. How about you, Jay? Are you finding any different there? Yeah, Don, remember when we first started in this business years ago and we would stay open till midnight. And we'd, yeah, we like, had, we'd yeah. have little parties and little pizza parties at, at the office waiting for people to come in with their last minute contributions. And I it's just that. like, that. it's a thing of the past. Like people just don't do that now. And there's... It's Don's going to talk about it, but it's just the electronic age, I think, has probably advanced that a little bit. You don't have to go running around picking up checks anymore. But yeah, well, I know, Scott, you've talked about this many times on the show also is a as a pack, a pre-authorized check, having to pay yourself first, as Jay mentioned earlier. If it comes out monthly, it's easier. You don't have to have this last minute rush of where am I going to get the money from? It's part of your lifestyle. So a lot of our clients. And I would say the vast majority of our clients that are accumulating money still and are on the other side that are already retired are paying themselves first. They have money yeah. coming out. So it's often just might be a top up. Well, go back a bunch of years ago, that top up, oh, we had to go around and they'd come in with checks to the office or we would visit them. That's the thing of the past, as Jay mentioned, because the pandemic changed the rules. This is a fantastic part of the pandemic is, yeah. is we simply pull the money from people's accounts. We'll talk to them over the phone for 15 minutes and take the money out and just put it into the appropriate investments that we had talked about. That used to be a two-hour ordeal. Now it's a 15-minute conversation. That doesn't mean that's a financial plan. Okay, That's far from a financial plan. That is simply a transaction. And I would suggest if, if that is your financial plan, any of the listeners out there, then that is not your, you do not have a financial plan. You've simply put money into an RSP. There should be some very, very good strategies around your goals and what you're trying to accomplish. And RSPs are part of that strategy. And they likely are if you are still working. So pulling money, a lot of group RSPs. And this one here, if you take a look at the landscape from when we, you know, I started 30 some odd years ago to now, uh, the defined benefit plan, you know, the what, you know, the police officers, teachers, nurses, et cetera. And usually it's, it's generally in the public sector. They have the pension plans now. And on the other side, that, those uh, defined benefit plans are way of the dodo bird. They are defined contribution plans where you put money in and the company matches part of it. And they'll often do a 50% matching seems to be the most common. I have seen some 100% matching, which is outstanding. And I've, there is even some amount there with 200% matching. You put in 5,000, they put in 10,000. Uh, out, out, you know, so, but again, now 
the money is going in that way. So maybe the RSP contributions would be down, but does that really matter? This is the same thing. It's a, it's a registered product. It just call it an RSP, if you will, uh, call it a pension plan at the end of the day. What's the difference? Okay. They're very similar. Um, in fact, it, once the person leaves that company, they end up rolling those funds over into either an RSP or a locked-in retirement account called a LIRA. Um, that's the acronym for it. RSP. Just happens to have some rules around an RSP. So end of the day, RSPs are extremely busy. So when you hear this newscast this year on saying, oh, well, there's no lineups at the door, there has been for years, okay? And people are simply doing it differently. So, but there is a lot of myths around the whole RSP era. And and maybe because there's some other options these days. But one I hear is, oh, I, I just don't believe in RSPs. Mm, and I go... We get, that all, we get that all the time, right? I, yeah. I don't believe in RSPs. I'm like, well, it's not religion, so I'm not sure what you're <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. What's to believe in here? There's no belief. It's black and white. Yeah. I, I always, that one always dumbfounds me, too. I go, huh? Um, where, where are you getting this information from? And, that's exactly and, what it is, Don. Somebody has said to them, I don't believe in RSPs. So that's the catchphrase they're just picking up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It makes it sound maybe they they know something that we don't know. And and also there's this whole idea. Well, you know, I don't like the government meddling in my affairs. I, you know, they know everything about you, those RSPs. Well, yeah. Well, they know about you anyway. So are, are, are you really, you know, cutting off your nose by your face type of thing? Because, hey, if I want to save tax, I'm benefiting from it. Government is not. This is a registered product. Yes, you have to do an income tax return every year. They already know everything about you. You have to deliver your, give them your social insurance number. Same with an RSP. That's why it's registered. By the way, um, there's a lot of other registered products. Those would be a tax-free savings account, a registered education savings fund, or registered disability savings plan. Like These are registered. All it means is the government makes sure that you don't over-contribute. You can't just throw in here. I, I, hey, I won the lottery, a million bucks. I'm putting in an RSP. Yeah, there are rules. And that's why they're registered. And the government wants to know what's going on with those rules. But it's so funny. You hear somebody say, I don't believe in RSP. And the first answer I have in my, my head is, I wonder if I've ever heard a teacher say, you know, I really don't believe in a pension plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've never heard that. In fact, everybody often says, oh, boy, I just wish I had that teacher's pension fund you know i'd be able to retire earlier all it is is they are putting money away and they are deferring tax okay and so really what an rsp is it's a tax deferral plan in fact i wish they actually changed the name of this because tax-free savings account we've talked many times on the show i wish it was called a tax-free investment account because that's really what it is you can invest it in anything and the and the principal grows tax-free never pay tax on it Great product, and we've talked about a lot about over the over the years. An RSP is really a tax deferral investment account. Okay. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. It just just as you're talking there, I was thinking that you know an RSP, if it was called a private pension or an individual pension, people might be a little bit more excited about investing into it. That's right? a good point. As opposed yeah. to, yeah. As opposed yeah. to an RSP, people, it's a little, it's a little confusing to people what it actually is. They don't believe in it and they're not sure. But if you called it a pension or an individual pension, I think people would be more, more inclined sure. to invest in it, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, you take a look, let's say somebody was earning $120,000 and, you know, you're in a 40 
3.41% tax bracket. Well, if you were to take $13,440 and invest it into an RSP every year, well, how did I get that number? For, you know, and first of all, somebody makes 120,000, can they really afford to put $13,440 away? Seems like an awful lot of money. Well, funny enough, if you were a teacher, the first 60,000 you earn, 10.4% of it is going into the pension fund. Once you make over, and, and it's actually a little higher than that now, but just for ease, ease of numbers here, once you make over 60,000, they actually take out 12% of your pay, okay? So if you were a teacher making 120,000, I know they don't quite earn that much. They probably, you know, somewhere around 195 is, is kind of the norm, but they're pulling away 11 to 12% of their pay to a pension fund. And so if you're making 100, guaranteed that at least oh, about 11, $12,000 of that would be going to a pension fund. Well, the average Canadian is not saving 11% of their pay. That's the true, you know, magic, magic sauce, if you will, or, or secret sauce of a pension fund is the fact that they were forcing people to take money off their pay and putting yeah. it away. That yeah. is really the key. And mandated, they live within mandated, that yeah. lifestyle. Yes, mandated. They have no choice. They don't have to be a teacher. Um, so in that case, they say, well, I'm going to save this $13,440. Well, hey, Mr. I don't believe in an RSP says, you know what? That's okay. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the money. I'm going to save that $13,440 in a non-registered account. Well, actually, you can't because you have to pay a bunch of income tax on that money. So you only net $7,661 because the other 43% went to the government. Well, now you're saving that for the next 20 years and you would have about 300 grand. Hey, pretty good at 6%, by the way. Well, if you took the RSP and you said, okay, I'm going to put it into an RSP, no different as Jay mentioned as an RS uh, pension fund, it would be worth $524,000. Now that's a significant amount. There's $226,000 more because you're using a tax deferred item. Why would I want to pay the government now? Tax deferral is huge. I'll pay them 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Well, let's say you did this for 30 years. And that's kind of a, what a, a teacher is doing. Okay. You took the 13,440 invested at 6%. You're at $1.1 million, actually 1,126,000 be exact. Versus if you did it in a non-registered vehicle, 642,000, you know, massive difference, almost double. It's getting close to double because you're using the tax deferral. Um, if you take 4%, well, the, the naysayers will say, well, at least that's 642,000, um, you know, I don't have to pay tax on that. That's my principle. Well, actually, they probably only have 642,000 because they had to pay tax along the way too. There's interest mm -hmm. and dividends and capital gains. So I didn't even take that into account. Um, and, I don't know about you, you guys, but I far rather have $1.1 million and 642000 any day of the week, because when you start pulling it out to give yourself an income at retirement, 4% of 642000 is 25000 a year. 4% of $1.1 million is 45000 a year. Which pension do you want? Okay. Mm -hmm. 45,000 yeah, or sure, 25,000. Sure, sure, it's tax. Sure, there's tax payable on it, but you would, like you said, you didn't even account for the taxes on the on the original on the non-registered account during the during the growth period. So and for that matter, you're paying tax on the six on the twenty five thousand either on yeah. both cases because right. it's interest or, or growth. So or both ways gains, you're yeah. paying or capital gains. So you are paying tax 
on that on the funds either way. But at the end of the day, I would rather have by a long shot. So it makes a big it makes a big difference to your net worth and peace of mind, and at the end of the day, just your wealth. Um, real estate. Some people will say, you know what, I, I'd rather invest in real estate and RSPs. Well, I'm not hearing that argument as much anymore. Okay, as Jay said, market's down 20% or more um, in the last year. Um, and also, you really are comparing apples to oranges when you're comparing real estate to RSPs. You know, usually it's a rental property. You got a tenant. You got stress. You've you've leveraged. You you may have put only 10% down. You borrowed 90%. And now your interest rates doubled or tripled because you bought it and it's coming up for renewal. Not even close. You can't even compare the two. A pension is supposed to be have less stress. That's the whole point of it. It's not any type of a, a more riskier way to invest. And real estate is an asset class on its own. I am not anti-real estate. I think it's a great part of a person's portfolio, but it should not be the only part. Okay. Um, so, and, and really at the end of the day, human nature is, is against most people accumul- accumulating money because most people would rather spend. Well, saving is simply deferring gratification. Who the heck wants to do that? I can go to Aruba right now, or I can put money into an RSP. Hmm. Okay. Not as much fun. Not nearly as much fun. <laughs> Not even close. It's deferring gratification. Human nature is to have fun now. So this is why teachers' pensions, and, and, and I don't want to pick on teachers' money, but any pensions, they're forcing people to put money aside off their paycheck. And that's what I an wonder. RSP- you, you know, you talked about people not believing in RSPs. I wonder if people would have believed in putting that money into the pension had someone not made them do that. Because like you said, we could all have the ability to do that. So I would suggest mm-hmm. that people who perhaps don't believe in RSPs probably don't believe in those, uh, you know, put so much money in and the company gives you so much as well. I mean, you know, either you buy in or you don't, right? Yeah, then that company yeah. matching, you're literally leaving money on the table. Like yeah. this is part of your compensation. Yeah, you're, you're you're put in ten grand, and they're going to put in five grand. It's basically saying I don't want the government, the uh, company's five grand, and never mind. But I've heard, I've heard, growth. I've heard people say, you know, I want to invest my own money. I don't want to invest in the companies. But I mean, it's just it's free money, you know. I mean, yeah. it's it's bizarre. And there's so many choices in the group plans. And what yeah. Jay and I often well, always do is we incorporate the group plan as part of their overall plan. And how should that money be invested? And and that will also help us look at the big picture and say, okay, as an investment plan, we know what you're doing there. Um, this is what we should be doing here. And if you're a part of a defined benefit plan, that's to me is like a big giant GIC. You know what you're getting. And if you're going to get 40 grand a year, well, there's a big massive GIC. You can be more aggressive on the investment side because you know you're getting this do- this paycheck every month. So it's all about looking at the bigger picture, not getting caught up in the smaller one. And so portfolio planning is part of it. But RSPs at the end of the day are sticky. And that's why they're also very good. You put money in and you save tax. Great. But now it's like, a, you know, you take it out, you have to pay tax. And that's why they're sticky. People stick to the plan versus if they were non-registered, all of a sudden their kid says, you know what, dad, I really need to, uh, money. For, I got in a car accident. Um, I need 10 grand to help pay for this. You're not taking it out of a, a pension fund. but peop- And people generally won't take it out of an RSP because they pay tax. But if it was in a TFSA or just sitting in a, a non-registered account, oh, I got the I got the money, son. You know, I can get deal this for you. So again, we have to protect ourselves from our from ourselves. Okay. For, and that's the biggest thing with financial planning. And I would recommend this is what's so good about having a 
a certified financial planner, they will make sure they take all the emotion out and put you on the right track. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. You know, getting a financial planner, making that decision, that's one thing, but you should go armed with some questions and concerns that you have. Uh, maybe even write them down, Jay. Yep. No, absolutely. Good, good point, Scott. Um, you know, Dom was just talking about RSPs and a lot of people putting money in last minute uh, into their RSPs. Hopefully they're not, but if they are uh, making that deposit and not really questioning where they're putting their money, they just want to get that tax that tax credit and, and make sure that they've done their, their due diligence by putting the money into their RSPs and worry about it later. And often they don't worry about it later. They put the money in and then, you know, March comes around or February comes around next year and they do the same thing. And it becomes habitual that they just go in and deposit their money into, into RSPs. So I, I strongly suggest that people that are investing that they sit down with an advisor and see if it's the right thing for them. Um, you know, Don was, talking about putting money into RSPs and, and saving a million dollars. Often what we find is if there's a certain point where it's almost like a, a tipping point where you've got too much in your RSPs and you want to make sure that you're sitting down with someone and you don't create this giant tax bomb within your RSPs um, by putting too much money into it. So yeah, there's a there's a tipping point where it doesn't make sense. And, and Don did make a good point that, yeah, it doesn't make sense to put money in RSPs. But anyway, so when you're sitting down with an advisor, a bunch of questions that you want to ask i was i was with friends on the weekend and they said you know their industry isn't exactly transparent they're getting better but we don't we don't really know what advisors do or or what what they're actually responsible for and they're afraid to talk to advisors they're afraid to ask them questions because they're intimidating you know they got these big offices and you come into the office and you you step into my office you're not sure what to ask so here's some questions that you should be asking your advisor um, right away ask ask about fees 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 transparency it's everywhere it's talked about in the news all the time how much does your advisor get paid ask the advisor exactly how much you're paying and how much the advisor's making uh if the advisor can't answer that question maybe you should be talking to someone else uh regulatory controls so what safeguards are in place um is there cdic coverage has the advisor ever received any disciplinary action? So you really want to know. Um, it's it's available on websites um, if you want to look that stuff up. But you 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 definitely want to check with the advisor and see where where they're at if they've ever come across any any issues with other clients. Um, experience. What what licenses does that that advisor have? What diplomas, degrees, certification? Do they do continuing education? Are they required to do continuing education? Um, what what length of experience do they have? You know, Don Don and I have been in the business. Um, Don's been in the business over thirty years. I've been in over twenty five. Um, so where are they at? Uh, are you do continuing to do courses and upgrading? yourself and making sure that you're 
on point with what's going on in the world. Um, a lot of advisors don't do that. Um, so make sure your advisor's up to date on what's going on um, in terms of taxes, in terms of you know, changes in, in, the, um, in the budget and things like that. Communication, how often do, do you talk to your clients um, or the advisor, how often does he talk to your clients? Is it face-to-face? -face? Is it phone calls? Set your expectations. If you're a client that doesn't want to be talked to unless, unless you reach out, that's fine. Um, we have clients that say, listen, we'll reach out to you. Don't reach out to us. We don't want to be bothered. We'll reach out to you annually. Don't, don't worry. Um, but other clients want to be talked to every six months or every, every quarter. And if that, that advisor can't meet those expectations, you should know up front. Uh, make sure you know what, what expectations the advisor has and what your expectations are. So, so there's um, the ex expectations are set. Um, access to information. Does the advisor have a website? Does the company that he's dealing with have a website? Are, are statements available? Are, are tax slips available? What about the planning software? Is that available? You know, Don and I, uh, we, on the show, we talk about planning all the time. Our software is available to our clients and they can look at what we're in our meetings. They, after the meeting, they can go back and review and look onto, the, onto their website and look to see what their plan is. They can even tinker with it a bit if they want to save more. How, how much closer are they to retirement? So have something that's uh, pragmatic and, and, and proactive in terms of uh, financial planning and be able to access that information might be something you're interested in. Not all advisors have that. So you want to make sure that you're asking those questions of the advisor. Um, is there a personalized service? So is it a family business? Is it Are you just working with a branch and next month you have someone else at the branch you're dealing with and the next month after that you have someone else? Or is it someone that's been in the business a long time? This is their family business or it's their business and you're the guy or the point that you're going to be talking to that person every time you meet as opposed to dealing with someone different every time it's often hard we find when don and i are sitting down with clients even when we do annual reviews with clients there's lots of changes that happen um, but often it's consistent but there's so many details that we go through with our clients um, to go through that every year with a, a new client or a new advisor every year if you're dealing and i don't want to uh, Put down the banks but if you're dealing with someone at the bank and they got a new financial advisor every year as opposed to dealing with someone's got longevity and, and we know your situation a lot better so lots of things to think about um, it's not always cut and dry just because you put your money in you're going to be taken care of you want to make sure you ask the right questions of your advisor and deal with someone that's a certified financial planner we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here and coming back with our last segment. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. So much of financial planning is deferring tax. I know you want to speak about this for the last segment. Yeah, deferring tax and RSPs, there's one way to defer tax. But just to go back on what Jay was saying a second ago, you know, questions asked your financial planner are excellent. You know, great, great summary of some questions. But also you should look at the firm. You know, Royal Bank was, mm -hmm. as Jay mentioned, or the banks, they're all large companies. They're going to be around for a long time. IG, 
wealth management, a large company. It's been around. And, and really, at the end of the day, it's nice to know that you're be- dealing with a company that will continue. And from an estate planning standpoint, they'll be looking after your great grandkids. They're going to be there for a long time. Their objective, our objective as a company is not to be bought out by another company. And then that's their exit plan per se. And, and you'll see there is a lot of companies, a lot of fluidity in our, in our business right now and amalgamations. And you're seeing a lot of these companies, they grow them to a, a scale and then they get bought out. So again, as much as it's important to ask about your financial planner, you know, look at the company you're dealing with and make sure that's a good fit for you too. Um, as far as deferring tax goes, thanks, Jay. As, as, as deferring tax goes, RSP is one thing. We all know how they are. They work. But um, minimize risk withdrawals. It seems like an obvious one, but some people will, will take a lot more money than they need to out of their RIF. And a RIF, by the way, is a registered retirement income fund. So that's where your RSP goes to. Uh and again, the RSP can go to the RIF at any age. A lot of people think it has to go to a RIF at age 71 or 70, I even hear. It's actually, that's 71 is the year it has to be moved to a, a RIF. An RSP has to be moved to a RIF. But the first payment doesn't actually start until 72. So you get that deferral. So that deferral is important. That's the whole idea of RSPs. But again, watch the deferral because we don't live forever. So you, if you want to defer until you're your death, well, you might end up paying 53% tax on it if you defer it too long. And so the part of our job is to say, well, okay, it's, it gets to the point, it might make sense to pay some tax earlier than that, because I'd rather see you pay it at 30% than 50% down the road. So this is all part of the tax planning. Uh, T-series, these are investments where when you invest money, you, you, you put money into investment, and then you take so much income per month. Well, it sounds pretty normal as any investment would, but the difference of a T-series investment is you're drawing on the principal first. So this is a non-registered account. So let's say you sold a rental property as an example and you say, okay, yeah, here's $100,000, Don. I, I want you know 5%, so that's you know, $5,000 a year from this. Well, depending how we set this up, we can actually pay you $5,000 a year and we'll be drawing down the $100,000. Okay? And so you don't pay tax on your own principal. It's, and then when that, the principal's all gone, and then you end up paying tax on the growth after that point. So that's often 14, 15 years later um, before you've drawn down the principal. And what's left is all capital gain. And you only pay tax on half the capital gain. So it's another uh, tax deferral strategy is the T-series. Um, from an employment standpoint, taking a sabbatical or a leave of absence is, is open for some employers. And you can have up to one third of your salary deducted uh, and, and move forward down the road. So you don't pay tax now on it. And then you eventually take the money out later and you pay tax on it. And that deferral can go up as long as six years from the time you had the, um, the, the deferral. So six years later, later, you do have to have that leave of absence. But this could be all part of your retirement plan. You mm-hmm. go... As you're going near retirement, that year before you actually start collecting your pension, call that your sabbatical year. And you're actually getting part of your income that was deferred. And then the fall, and you're actually still contributing to uh, your pension fund. And then the following year, you start your pension. So it gives you that deferral. It works quite well. Yeah, we see that with teachers, right? Um, uh, you talking earlier in the show about about pensions for teachers. Teachers also have that ability to to take that deferral, take off a year. Um, in that last year and to further their divide their salary by five as opposed to taking it over four type things so 
Yeah, yeah it's good. a it's a it's a great perk for those, and and again, it's a great lifestyle enhancement at the same time. Estate freeze. This is an interesting one. So if you have a company and you say, you know what, um, my biggest concern here is I'm going to pay a lot of tax, and I'm gonna, the, you know the kids are going to get the money anyway. Well, you might say, okay, I'm going to freeze my company now. Let's say it's worth $2 million right now. I got that $2 million frozen and you have control over that. But then any of the future growth would go into the kids' names. So what you've done in that case, this is the ultimate deferral. You've deferred it for a whole generation until they sell it and then they pay the tax on it. And this is a, a very common strategy for a lot of business owners. It makes a lot of sense. You, it allows you to defer you're basically, if you're going to end up selling the business, giving it and, and giving it to the kids, or they're going to be running it anyway. Well, what a great opportunity to defer uh, any of the future growth. And you're generally, this is something you should be sitting down with your accountant and your financial planner. Make sure you're financially set already from a, a retirement strat um, in retirement, and you got a good pension. You can you know withstand your lifestyle. And uh, finally, incorporate your business. If you're in a position that you're you're not using all the funds that your business is making, have it incorporated because a, a Canadian-controlled private corporation, you're only going to pay around 11% tax on the first 500000 you earn. And so if you're not going to spend that money, why not just pay 11% tax on that money rather than maybe paying 53% tax? And now you've got 89, $0.89 cent dollars working for you, growing rather than paying half to the government and investing that money. So these are all forms of tax deferral. But again, as accountants uh, often say, divide, deduct, and defer. This is one of the Ds, and uh, we'll, go, we'll probably go over the other divide and deduct at another time. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another award-winning show, gentlemen. Thanks so much for the time. <laughs> Have a great week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.